You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, we have Trevor from Pelican, one of my favorite, favorite bands. I've been wanting to have him on for a long time. We tried a few times. Everything just kept kind of getting in the way, and we finally made it happen. And uh, I apologize for my voice. I've been really sick lately, and I needed to get this one out, so I'm fighting through it. Uh, so I apologize for the squeaky voice. Um, Anyways, Pelican has some new music coming out. It's a two songs, Adrift and Tending the Embers on Bandcamp. You can find them on Bandcamp. Um, it's incredible stuff. We talk about a lot of it in this episode. Um, it's a lot more, it's a lot different than I expected, I guess what I'm saying, um, of this release. And we talk about it because uh, just the, the, you know, it's Pelican, but at the same time, there's so much added into this and, and progression and and different sounds. It's it's incredible. So check it out. Adrift and Tending the Embers uh, by Pelican on Bandcamp. And uh, we were talking about Dallas, I believe, on the episode as well, who left the band to pursue other stuff. He's got a band called Ready, of, uh, Ready for Death, and they're also on Bandcamp. That's Ready for Death at uh, dot .bandcamp.com. Uh, another incredible band and uh yeah pelican is back at it again so i'm stoked to bring you this episode thanks to trevor for doing this and uh thanks to you guys for being patient through all this sickness and weirdness of, of schedules and, and everything else i appreciate you sticking by me um and being in my corner anyway uh let's get some business out of the way and we'll jump right in so peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me uh, we have the Peer Pleasure Podcast Facebook group, the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle. Um, it's a private group, but if you ask to be added in, we'll add you in there, and we have lots of conversations over there. We have the premium service, which is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. There you'll get the old episodes on video. You'll also get the past cast as well as the ad-free feed. Um, 
I'm really stoked to bring you guys this episode. I'm not going to say much here just because my voice is killing me. Um, but without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Trevor from Pelican. What's up? Not much. Um, here, let me unblur my background. That's like a <laughs> that's a that's like a work thing. <laughs> I get the same thing. Project managers and it's everything. Like if I get on conference calls with clients and I have a drum kit behind me, <laughs> and I've done that many times, it took me a long time in the Zoom era to figure out how to do the blurred background. Uh-huh. I just had conference call after conference call of like, oh, so do you play drums? It's like, <laughs> just like, no, no, it's just here. It's just <laughs> shit. <laughs> and yes, I am a musician, but mostly it's just like, I got a bunch of shit here. Yeah. I could see that being a point of conversation <laughs> for that kind of stuff. Every time. Yeah. I, I in construction. So like we have project management on or something, they're always blurred out. Which sometimes, if the lighting's right, it it gives more imagine, imagination than anything else. Like, what the hell is that? Like, what's that orange blob that's floating behind you? And it's like one of their kids or something. It's so weird. If it was just a kid, it'd be nothing. But then, like, yeah. Then you got stuff that's actually right in plain sight. Like I had Kat Von D on a few weeks ago, and she had a squirrel crawling on her the oh. entire time. Okay. And I didn't know whether to bring it up or not. I didn't, but she was like <laughs> petting it. So it's obviously a pet. Yeah. I, I've never seen anyone with a pet squirrel in my life, but it, yeah. It's... I long thought that squirrels while terrifying are also really cute. Uh-huh. Uh, so I could picture wanting to have a squirrel as a pet. It's just like, I just, I think that they're like <laughs> vicious. I don't know. Like there's something really unsettling about squirrels. Yeah. Cute, but... They're, they're shifty. And survivalists so they will do what they have to do to survive except cross a road all the way um <laughs> but yeah it was like a hairless cat and a squirrel the hairless cat i got like that made sense 
but the uh, the squirrel just threw me off. At seven yeah. and a half years of doing this, that's the first time a squirrel's coming to pro- into play. So, <laughs> well, no squirrels here tonight. Who knows, <laughs> man? Oh, I'm so glad we're doing this. Um, like I say, this thing just starts as as we start. So, um, yeah. But you got everything completed. Everything all all winning over at your place tonight. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's some something of a miracle. Uh, you're a parent yourself, so uh-huh. I, I'm sure you understand. Like some days and nights go easier than others. Some yeah. weeks go easier than others. And like, uh, yeah, the four year old Martin, he has been putting up quite a protest with the bedtime situation. He's um, he he's, suffers from a severe case of FOMO. He thinks that if he falls asleep, <laughs> like something incredible is going to happen. And it's like, no, it's just the same shit here every day, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like nothing incredible is going to happen when you fall asleep. Yeah. But he hates the concept of sleep. It's just not, it doesn't agree with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this week he's been really putting in the fight, but you know. <laughs> oh, it never ends, dude. And sometimes like my son especially thinks it's a new day after a nap. <laughs> like it's just starting over again. Like it's a whole nother day. Like it's just, and then, yeah, for some reason, the first day doesn't get dark. The second day does, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh it's never a dull moment parenting, man. But uh, yeah, it'll throw a wrench in the works. It's the greatest thing ever is all, oh, it's all, all encompassing. Yeah. It makes me it's- wonder what I was like as a kid, that age, that what I was doing, because I didn't bring <laughs> it up with my, my mom. Like, I didn't want to know. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I'll think back to things that I did as a child and like, I'll see it through like this whole new lens. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can't picture. Yeah. What my parents perception of it was, you know what I mean? Cause like the parental perception is obviously so different from the child's perception of things. Yeah. But back then we were raising ourselves pretty much like we had a lot more freedom and uh, yeah. parents yeah. were just trying to get through the day. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I see it anyway, as a child of the eighties, but man, it, yeah, I don't remember much parental, uh, uh, interference with our plans, but yeah, for sure. Uh, and I was a third child. So like to a great extent, my, my parents had given up on trying to control what was going on by the time I came around. So yeah, yeah. that sense, that sense of freedom. Yeah. That resonates with me. I totally remember just like sort of being on my, my, um, my older brothers are both like four or five years older than me. Mm-hmm. Probably like I was in my own world most of most of my youth. Yeah. Did you get along with them to where you were? Were they looking out for you? I mean, they were a ways ahead of you, but but as you were yeah. coming up, like good relationship. Sort of here and there. I mean, we. Um, I would say when I was really really little, before my memory starts, I hear that they were like super hands on, mm-hmm. uh, and then by the time I was in middle school. Uh, there was like some stuff here and there where like I was starting to get into music and there was some like interest in like what I was getting into and some, you know, there was a Venn diagram of the things we were into, but also they were in high school. They very much had their own lives that they were trying to get on with and they didn't want a pesky little brother around. Mm-hmm. Not musicians. No, no. Oh, okay. Interesting. She got the coolest job at all of them. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Uh, my older brother, Michael is a, a classics professor okay and uh my eldest brother alan is an economist so i feel like we all have like interesting jobs but we're all really different we're all over the place yeah man so you have a phd in economics mm-hmm. wow 
I could, I could barely get through that in college. I got, it just <laughs> bored me to death, but people go all the way with that stuff. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. There's a PhD for it. Like it's amazing what there's PhDs for. Like yeah. there's so much. I had a friend that got one in organizational leadership and basically okay. all it is, is organizing companies. Yeah. Like, wait, you have seven people doing this and you could be doing, and that's a PhD in that. It's crazy. And I, I could use somebody like that in my life. I need yeah. somebody to organize my shit for me. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love it. Uh, so I'm, I was thinking on this today because when I discovered what you do with Pelican was through, I had a band called Anatomy of a Ghost and in mm-hmm. 2000, 2000 ish. And we had put out a record on Rise Records, which then bought out by Fearless. And a buddy of ours, Aaron Edge, was doing the artwork and he was always listening to Isis while he was mm-hmm. doing the artwork. And I had uh, never heard anything like that before. I'm like, what is this? He's like, oh, it's my favorite band. Who's that? Isis. Like, What's going on with that snare? It was slush, uh, uh, oceanic. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, the snare's off. Like, he just took the snare off. I was like, that's interesting. So I went to Amoeba Records on that tour and bought Oceanic and listened to it in my discman, dating myself uh religiously and then i'm like man okay what other bands are out here like this so i went down the hydrahead rabbit hole and that's where i discovered pelican and i was like dude this artwork's incredible for australasia yeah and yeah i picked that up at ozone records in portland and uh again in my discman going and going and going <laughs> and that's how i discovered you guys was through that rabbit hole and i didn't see you guys live until the mono tour Okay. Yeah. The split 2005, yeah. 2006, 2006. I still have the poster from the, the, the black paper yep. silkscreen poster from that. Uh, how many moves I've carried that thing through, but it's always up <laughs> in my basement wherever I'm doing my work. And oh, yeah, awesome. uh, dude, it was an experience because blew my mind. Oh, Just you, like yeah. there was, that was like exposing me to music that didn't have words like it was like a i was like what is this like where's the word where's the, you know what i mean where so much space had to be taken up with instrumentation totally blew my mind like and went down that whole rabbit hole for years but uh yeah you guys were just blew me away and i wasn't surprised at all like this is great music it was seeing it live was just a better experience like this is like yes that was at a club called loveland in portland here uh, like mm-hmm. a big uh, industrial area. I actually lived upstairs. Yep. And, I remember uh, that show. Yeah, dude, so awesome. And uh, anyways, but that's how I discovered Pelican and what you do. And then all these years later, you're in the publicist business, publicity <laughs> business, and I've got a podcast. So like, wait a minute, you're a Pelican. <laughs> yeah, I'm the guy that's talking you about booking my clients. Yes, dude. So like, it's, it's this small world, like circle of life kind of thing. And I'm stoked uh, that we connected that way too. And, and uh, anyways, that all being said, thank you for coming on and doing this. And uh, I'm a big fan of what you do. Um, Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah, So that, who did the artwork for Australasia? Was that Aaron? Yeah, that was Aaron Turner. Okay. He's, he's incredible. Um, Yeah. I mean, we were really lucky and fortunate and to link up with Hydrahead because um, that was a label that we really looked up to. And like, 
I mean, when we recorded our demo, we must have sent it to 30, 40 labels and we just got pass after pass after pass. And then Hydrahead, which was probably our number one choice, mm-hmm. were the only ones that came back and said yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I find that very surprising. Like what were the, what were the, was it just like not interested or did they give any feedback at all on why they said no? Uh, that was so long ago. It's hard to remember. Um, I don't, I don't remember any specific feedback, but maybe that I'm just repressing <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do remember that sense of just like a lot of non-response, but, and all of the responses that came back were like, we just can't do it. Or like, I mean, I feel like the most common thing that I've heard over the years in in label rejections and from not from Pelican necessarily, but from other bands that have been with is just like we already have all of our releases plotted out for such and such amount of time. So we just we have no no openings for you right now. That's a classic. Yeah. But, you know, I understand how it is. I've I've done enough records now and I've seen how people plot their release calendars that I understand Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can get pretty backlogged and it can be really hard to find space for something new, even if it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys put out a bunch of records on Hydrahead, like spirit yeah, first, records, like yep. all Our sorts first of three full lengths and like a smattering of EPs. There was that demo was re-released as an EP, the March to the sea EP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A bunch of things splits. Yep. Man, what a time that was. Yeah. That was a huge time of discovery in my life. Cause I was finally like, I was kind of done touring and working the, at the club and, and seeing all this music I'd never seen. Cause I'd been like growing up in Alaska, like I got what I got. And then yeah. getting down here, it's like, there's all this other stuff. And then working in a club with like two of the guys are from like Antioch arrow and that whole scene. And like, uh, they're like, dude, you have no idea. Like these bands you're into of who they're ripping off. Like, I'm like, <laughs> who are they ripping off? And he points at the wall and it's Antioch arrows record gems and masochism. I'm like us. I was oh, yeah. like, <laughs> okay, cool. And then they're trying to like clue me into all this music. And it was just this huge discovery time. And, and, uh, the, that's the stuff that really stuck with me is you guys. And, and, uh, um, and then seeing mono too, that was insane. Um, absolutely bonkers. That band is insane. Um, <clears throat> anyways, but so you guys, I mean, jumping ahead for a second here, you guys got the new EP coming out. Mm-hmm which yep. is you sent me uh, just like a, like a advanced link to check it out. I've yeah. been blasting it for the last couple of weeks and it's, it's incredible, but it's so different from everything you guys have done so far. I really feel like it's really like it's, it's, it was not at all what I expected, but I was pleasantly surprised, I guess is the way I could put it. Cause it seems yeah, right like up. such a huge progression. Like, like there's so many other flavors and tones and, uh, it just seems, it seems like a, I was just really surprised right on. I heard because it's really, and, and every time I listen to it, I hear something else, here's something in the background or something <laughs> that's maybe a little low in the mix. Um, and, but then it has those huge Pelican moments, like the, the, where everything's firing on all cylinders, that super, like just rich tone that i could i mean bands try to do that stuff but i think you guys really hit it and always have since the early days there is a tone like there's a feel that pelican has almost like a lot of those musicians you can tell who it is before you even know like you know oh that's this is going for but oh that's hendrix or that's you know like a b-side or like a 
live recording you've never heard. You know who it is. With Pelican, out of all the bands that that you know do the like the post rock, the 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 sludge, all that stuff, you guys have always stood out with your own tone. And it's something I've always really thought was awesome with the band. Um, because it stay there's always that like uh what would you call it? Like the the um I'm going all over the place here in my mind. Um, <laughs> like the nucleus is always there. Like there's always this piece that's in there, regardless of what comes around it, it's always in there. And that's same on the CP to where that tone hits. And you're like, that's like there we are. Pelican. I I appreciate you saying that because <clears throat> I feel like tone is a uh, a perpetual chase for me like i'm st- i feel like i'm never quite exactly where i need it to be <laughs> so it's like this perpetually uh evolving thing um yeah. but yeah I, and especially like it's nice to hear you say that about the early stuff because i feel like my tone on the early stuff uh left a lot to be desired but oh, i'm dude. i'm really happy with where we've <laughs> where we've landed now for sure yeah are you using are you are you like a a one or two guitar guy or are you like a collection of guitar guys? I am a one one guitar guy. One guitar guy. Yeah. That probably has a lot same, to do with it. The same Gibson SG for the whole duration of the band, yeah. The, that brown one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is so that's the same one I saw you with. Yep. In 2006, all the records, everything. So that's I mean there's there's some there's some key things there that add to that tone and that's that guitar. Oh yeah. The guitar the guitar helps for sure. Um yeah. I, I like to think that I could get something good out of a different guitar. I, just, I love that thing so much. At this point, it's like an extension of my body. Yeah. Like I've, I've toyed with the idea of getting a different guitar or like getting a custom guitar or something like that. Like many of my, you know, my friends and, and colleagues have, but it's just, there's something where I can't picture playing with a different guitar and feeling the same. I don't know this, that same connection. Yeah. So with you, so with you, the guitar, did it start out one guitar as like like necessity like i can't afford a bunch of guitar i mean because it's a nice gibson sg what 70s era gibson yeah the um the serial the odd thing is, is that the serial number doesn't show up in like those gibson serial number databases so mm-hmm. it's got to be some it's got to be frankenstein to some degree but okay. it feel uh most people who have worked on it think that it's early 70s okay so, but did that start? I mean, it probably started as necessity. Like we don't have a ton of money. I got this decent guitar, like pawn shop, whatever, off yep, Craigslist, exactly. whatever. <laughs> and because uh, back then you could probably find stuff like that at a pawn shop that a reasonable price. Yeah, Midwest um, buy and sell. Yeah, there you go. Is that in Chicago? <laughs> yeah, on okay. Irving Park. That's that's where I got my that guitar and my first amp too. Okay, what amp did you get? What was your first amp? My first amp was a, a Marshall JCM 900, but it was 50 watts. Um, and by the time we were doing Helican, it was not loud enough. I had actually bumped up to a, a Mesa triple rectifier in the band that immediately preceded Pelican Tusk. Because mm-hmm. that was like a very blown out grindcore band. And mm-hmm. uh, I was playing with a full stack, like two half, like two four by 12s with that Marshall JCM 900. And it was like, like you couldn't hear it over the drums, even though yeah. it was a full stack. So, <laughs> so eventually I was like, okay, I gotta, I have to get something better. And uh, I remember I, 
I thought at that point in my life, I thought that the triple rectifier was the amp uh, because of botch. Mm-hmm. Dave, Knudsen, Dave I was just like, that's, that's the amp. I have to have that. Yeah, dude. Dave is a dear friend, man. He's, he's awesome. And did you see that he found that amp? Like yeah. all under something. <laughs> that's amazing. Good Lord. Touring with the same gear that many years later. That's so Insane. amazing. It's got to be like so so gratifying to be reunited with a piece of gear like that, though. I can't I have to imagine like just to be able to plug in and have that same sound for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got to be amazing. Dude, that happened to me with my son Solaris head. I sold it at Old Town Music here in Portland to pay rent one month after touring. It stopped. And I was like, I don't I'm not touring anymore. I don't need something this loud. Sold it five years later, found it on Craigslist. (laughs) <laughs> randomly and i had my handwriting in it uh so i knew it was mine and i went to the guy's place and he's like oh yeah you were in a band with so-and-so i work with him at this place so it was this whole small world thing mm-hmm. and my wife's like you have to get it i don't care what it, i mean it came back to you like you found it i wasn't even looking it just i was on crazy right. scrolling through there it is I found you came back how you found me I wanted to come home <laughs> dude you wanted to come home dude that thing was like about 60 watts and I turned, I never turned it past three, even <laughs> live, like with a full yeah. stack, like it was nuts. And the sun gear, once you discover that it's all over, like, it, and I guess they're remaking it now. Okay. Nice. They're starting again without, well, that's finish. what I'm playing out of now is a sun model T the, um, the silver. Um, don't hate me. I'm, I'm not. Good. I'm not a gear person, to be frank. So I don't remember. What I think it's red knobs. It's red knobs. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Because that stuff is uh, that stuff you used to be able to buy like 300 bucks in a parking lot, and now it's thousands of dollars for yeah. just the head. Or there's pedals that emulate it. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's like become an iconic sound. But that thing, yeah. you probably don't have to turn that up very loud to get over. No, that's the that's also. I have that thing turned to three, and I'm like. Uh-huh. I'm set. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> they should have saved money on the paint and just gone to five. <laughs> it was just one to five. And five is ridiculous, you know? Oh my God. But that's awesome. So one guitar for mm-hmm. that long, like that's a special guitar, man. Like that's done all those shows, all that travel. That's yeah. one cool thing with something like that, where you can like imprint on that thing, like all the, the energy and the, the, all the wear on it is from you. Yeah. You know, like all the, uh, we, we should look into doing is have, well, yeah. Hey Gibson, make me a relic that matches this. Exactly. <laughs> a little far-fetched here, but like, Oh yeah. I uh, wish, I wish I were that important, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you get someone to build you like a custom version of that, like just to recreate it almost and see, how do you do you know a band called Propagandi? Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, one of my favorite bands. So Chris had that crazy guitar, that SG he's played forever, and mm-hmm. then someone made like a custom version or a custom guitar for him. And it's the only other thing he's felt like playing besides that guitar was the custom. Interesting. Guitar. Okay, so it may be a route to go where something you know, uh, handmade or whatever from someone else. But if that guitar is working, which it is, keep it going. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's yeah. a, a pass it down kind of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to write it until it breaks down. <laughs> yeah. What happens when it breaks down? I, that's the crisis, right? <laughs> like you break strings, you're right. whatever. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I do need to come up with a, a backup plan. I mean, yeah. we have backup guitars with us on tour. I just okay. never, never really use them. 
<laughs> it's, ne- it's never come to that, fortunately. Incredible, dude. I I love that. That clues me into a lot on that tone because that's got to have a big <laughs> part to do with it. I mean, E. Mackay Fugazi, same thing. Had like one, maybe two SGs that he just yeah, rocked the yeah. whole time. Yeah. Don't need a collection. And I love that yeah, you're not I mean, a gear that's, guy. That's, that's a band that uh, their tone is so good all, yeah. through their entire discography. I mean, just an amazing sounding band. Yeah. The Gibson SG, man. Yeah. And they were like, just like they had like the no pedal vibe. They were just like Gibson uh-huh. SG plugged into a Marshall stack and like uh-huh. yeah, dial yeah. it in. Ian loves limitations. Yeah. <laughs> loves it. Everything yeah. he does has a limit on it of some kind. I'm not going to do this or this isn't going to have this. It's an interesting way to go about it. Instead of just letting the juices flow, <laughs> providing constraint to it is, uh, is his big thing, I think. And, and, uh, but yeah, the, the Gibson SG never fails. Yeah. Never fails. No back problems from the weight of it later in life. <laughs> from yeah, the, like, the sure. Les Pauls. Whew. Yeah. Cause that's, that's what Laurent plays. And like the Les Pauls, like I, the body is just so thick and the body is heavy and like the weight feels weird. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. not, not my vibe. I've definitely, I've tried <laughs> it's, It doesn't feel natural to me in the same way. Yeah, I agree. And I love with how much tone you guys have that you're not a gear guy. That's refreshing <laughs> because it's just, it's coming from you. Yeah. And I, I get, uh, I get into trouble sometimes because I think Pelican by virtue of the fact that we're an instrumental band, I feel like, um, a big part of our audience are musicians like that is like a very natural audience for us. And most of the people that are musicians in our audience are gear people. So people will hit me with like these really specific questions and I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> um, the, during the, the period of time where Laurent wasn't playing with us, uh, we had a dude in the band named Dallas Thomas, uh, mm-hmm. who's also in a band. Uh, he was in a band called Swan King and he's in, um, and, and, but he, he was, he was very, um, he was super gear centric to the point where he would talk about, uh, like the resistance in his trim pots. Like he was playing around with different trim pots for his volume knob and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have no idea what sh- fucking planet you're on, man. <laughs> so like people would come up to me and ask gear questions. And I'd be like, you got to go talk to Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Cause they would have a much more satisfying conversation with him. Dude in the Pelican genre. That's one of the genres where, you could probably look out in the crowd and see people's phones looking at your pedal board versus you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're like, oh, awesome. Oh, yep. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. You know, like, it's, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> oh, I always, Boris gets that all the time. I always see pictures of their pedal boards everywhere. I'm like, come on. Like, or you'll see them filming a video and then kind of trying to stick it over the wedge to, to catch the pedal board. Or I, I try to circumvent that by posting photos of my pedal board before we go out on, on tours, because I'm just like, I, I figure out what my setup is for the tour. And then I take a photo of it, post it on Instagram. I'm like, this is what's going on guys. <laughs> Here we go. I know, I know that there are a number of people that care about that. So I want to make it easy on them. Yeah. See, that's fantastic. That's just doing what the fans need, man. Right there. I got no secrets. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, real quick here. I'm curious how you got into the pub, the publicity game. I mean, obviously being a musician, working with musicians and publicity, but how, how did, how did you get into that realm in between during whatever with Pelican? 
how did that even come about? Cause you work for a pretty awesome company. Yeah. This three is pretty serious. And yeah, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to talk at too much at length about this. Cause I, I feel like, um, I don't feel like I want to be an ambassador for the, for the company when I'm doing press, like there's something that feels like off brand about that. Um, sure. I'm just curious how you got into yeah, that. Yeah, field. absolutely. Um, so the short story or the sh- as concise as I can be about it is uh, we did, we've started becoming uh, a full-time touring band in 2005 around the release of the fire in our throats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was uh, the tour around that album. We did Europe with Cave In. Then we came back, did uh, the tour with Mono. And then we wrote the album City of Echoes. And we did a tour across Canada with Daughters before we recorded the album. Mm-hmm. That everything, the fir- those first several tours, everything felt like uh, momentum was ramping up for the band and like every tour was a bigger financial success than the one that came before it. And then that tour across Canada was just a financial disaster. And all of us had been counting on having money in the bank, uh, at the end of it. And it just wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. And that's when it became clear that, uh, playing music for a living and especially playing esoteric instrumental metal music, uh, probably wasn't like a very secure career path. Uh-huh. Um, and that's when I started looking into what other avenues I could pursue uh, for money whenever we weren't on tour. Um, the two places I ended up working, I got a job at a venue in Chicago called the Empty Bottle, mm-hmm. which has always been one of my favorite venues, one of my favorite venues to play. And I totally loved working there and I have always enjoyed all my experiences there. Um, doing like door and and lights and production stuff. Uh, and then I got an internship at biz three, uh, which was the PR firm that was handling Pelican, uh, at that time. And, and for the duration since, um, the Catherine who owns biz three was hesitant to hire me because full time, because, uh, she felt that musicians were not reliable employees because they always have to get up and leave and go on tour. Um, but I found that I, when I would be home from tour, I would work at empty bottle and that was a night job. Um, but my days were these vacant, empty spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm not a nighttime person. I'm more of a daytime person. So I continued interning there anytime I was off the road. Um, and one thing that anyone can tell you about bar work or venue work is that they are good about bringing people back when they go out of town and come back on tour, like musician friendly places like that. Mm -hmm. But the thing that will keep you in a position and will keep you moving up the ladder at that type of place is consistency and availability and being able to be there. And I was finding year after year tour after tour that every time i would come back from tour it would be harder to get shifts at at the bottle uh just because there would be new people new people constantly getting hired and looking for shifts and vying for those those spots um so in 2009 we made the conscious conscious decision we were all hitting a burnout point with touring and with the band and like kind of hitting a wall with like how to balance uh, music with the other avenues in our life. 
So that at that point, I approached Catherine. I told her, listen, we're going to stop touring. I really want a full-time job at Biz3. And she demurred. She was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I just feel like you're going to go back on the road. Uh, so I, <laughs> I, I just don't know if I can, I can trust it. And then um, uh, a few people intervened and, and really talked to her and were like, this is really happening. They're really stopping. And she took a chance on me and I've been there ever since full time. That's incredible. I've, I've had the opportunity to work on some incredible projects from uh, Run the Jewels, Killer Mike, mm-hmm. Nick Mensa, Aesop Rock, Justice, Swedish House Mafia, all kinds of shit. This is like all over the map. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of stuff that has very little to do with the music that I've made. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like the thing that's consistent is that all of these people uh, are very true to their art. And all of them, I think, appreciate having somebody in their corner that has also done that same work, who has also been in the trenches and and can approach it from that perspective. Because I do know that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of publicists who, um, and this is not, not to, uh, you know, uh, to their detriment, um, but who probably don't know exactly what it's like to be on tour, you know, yeah. and don't understand what it's like the, the day-to-day of it. Yeah, well, everyone's good at what they're good at. And like, it's awesome. You can wear both hats because it, mm-hmm. it does help with your perspective. You know, there's publicists out there that have been on tour, like you said, that are are incredible at what they do, but mm-hmm. that's what they do, but you can do both, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and such a cool fall, not a fallback, but like, um, like a, just a, another hustle. Like, I mean, you've yeah. got kids, like, uh, family, you got to have the hustle. Like you have to, and you have to be able to pivot. Like you're saying, like you, you just pivoted right into that. Give me a shot and took it. Yeah. And now you're touring again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not touring that, Here and that there. much. Yeah. I mean, like since the pandemics, uh, I think I, I looked at our routings again to review and we did eight shows this year mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, in 2023 and um, what, 10 shows in 2022. And then, I mean, that was it. 2020 and 2021, we didn't play at all uh, for who knows why, right? Yeah, yes. Some happened. Bad weather. Global pandemic. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm gratified that post pandemic we were able to come back and that things have been happening and that we're able mm-hmm. to play shows again. And now we're working on writing a record, which. You know, when you hit a wall like that, it's kind of like, who knows what's going to happen next? There were definitely there was a period of time in there where I didn't know if things were going to come back for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so many people were in that position, but especially musicians like where live music just stopped completely. Yeah. Yep. Never in wildest dreams would I ever imagine anything like that happening. But to so many people and. uh it was really cool to see in those like music cares and stuff like that. Those, those foundations coming out and helping pay people's rent and like keeping people alive that were musicians that were like yeah. musicians and uh, just everyone kind of rallying around. That was really impressive, but uh, dude, good on you. And like, and like band camp day and all of that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember yeah. when it, when it first started, I had this thing where I would program my Apple music to keep playing artists that I liked, even when I wasn't at my computer, just to keep music streaming, because like, I know that streaming doesn't pay like bupkis mm-hmm. or whatever, but like yeah. to keep it consistent, like, you know, every stream counts. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was just playing music around the clock, even when I wasn't at my computer, just to, just like, just to do something, you know, man. Well, I, I'm, I'm stoked. You guys are back and, and doing some, you know, even limited shows is great, mm-hmm. but new music. And yeah. I'm curious on for a band like Pelican, the writing process with Pelican, like, is it so say you put this EP out, which we're talking about, but like you're working on a record. Yep. In the past, I guess, is can you kind of plan on how long it's going to take to work on or write this record versus now? Or do you guys have like a system down to where you guys can be really productive? Or is it a long process to do? Because, I mean, there's so much going on with that music and it's so uh, there's just so many layers that I just imagine it taking a very long time. But uh, am I wrong there? Well, <laughs> There is not a short answer to this question, um, but I don't mind giving you a long it's a, answer. It's a podcast, bro. Like this is yes. Um, every record has had a very different writing process. Um, our last record, Nighttime Stories, came out in 2019, so it's already been quite a long time. Um, that record took six years to write, uh, and a lot of that was that we didn't have a very consistent and strong working method for writing during that time. Um, that was during written during uh, an eight year period of the band where Laurent was not in the band. And as I mentioned before, we were with Dallas Thomas mm-hmm. uh, and three of us were living in Chicago, Brian, Dallas and myself and uh, Larry was living in LA, uh, which he still does. Um, and the three of us were not very diligent about writing. I th- and I think that a lot of it was that Dallas had a really different writing method than us. He was all about like, let's accumulate a lot of riffs and then start figuring out which ones plug into other ones. Whereas Pelican um, prior to that has really been about like getting together and like maybe there's one or two riffs and we just see how they flow and try to get into a room with each other and like see how riffs flow. Um, and not having access to a drummer on a consistent basis in with that record in particular, uh, made the process go really slow. And the, 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 the practices where things really came along and went fast was when all of us were in the room together but they were few and far between. And because we were still trying to pursue the band uh, in a manner where we were doing four weeks of touring a year or something like that, like two different two week tours, basically any time that we could get Larry to Chicago, it would be to prep for a tour and we wouldn't have that much time to work on new stuff. Um, and Dallas saved us. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. 
You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. 
peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. At a certain point, he was like, guys, we need to fucking finish this goddamn record. Do not book any more shows. I will not let you book another show until we have the record done. <laughs> I was like, shit. Okay. Yeah. And then like, basically we figured out when we were going to record and we figured out which song, like we had a bunch of, there's a lot, a lot of songs at that point that we had been playing live, um, but just hadn't, hadn't finished like the album. So we figured out which pieces needed to be finished, what, what was going to be on the record, what wasn't. And then we uh, figured out when we wanted to record and like kind of worked backwards. Like when, when are we having practices with the full band? Like, the three of us will go to LA for these days and like Larry will come to Chicago for these days. And then like that helped us finish the album. Um, 2019 came, the record came out, we did a tour, uh, an East coast tour. And then we went to Japan and then we were trying to set up a West coast tour for, uh, 2020 and then the pandemic hit. And then we just went into this nebulous, we don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, after at that point, actually Brian and Larry, Brian had been living in LA temporarily. And now we're talking about the writing of our new album. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, Brian, Brian and Larry had started working on some tunes and had sent like, cause Brian was living in LA for a short period there and sent some, um, some recordings of just bass and drums that they had written some pieces and sent them to me in Dallas. And we were like, okay, well we, we will work on this soon. And then the pandemic hit and, uh, and we didn't work on anything. And me personally being stuck in my house all the time and not seeing anybody and not talking to anybody and not playing music with anybody, I didn't feel inspired. Mm -hmm. And I think Dallas felt inspired, but he felt inspired in that same way that he felt inspired during nighttime stories, which is just like writing riffs and just having riffs and like riffs don't, do much for me in the absence of being in a room with the band. So that went on for many, many months. And those demos just sat on a hard drive and nothing happened with them. And then eventually Dallas was like, I'm fucking over this. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And he left the band. Um, that was in 2021. Uh, and at that point, we had a show booked in 2022, uh, which was Dunk Fest mm-hmm. or Hellfest. We were Hellfest. booked for Hellfest, and then we we ended up adding Dunk Fest. Um, and so we were like, "Well, we don't want to cancel this fest. They, we we've been booked since 2020, and it keeps getting pushed back a year, pushed back a year." So we were like, "Well, let's see." We I knew, and we all knew that Laurent had been playing guitar again, and was like itching to get something started. He had been trying to get us to start a band with him on the side, uh, Larry and myself. And Larry was like, why don't you just reach out to Laurent and see if he'll like come back and do some shows with us. And we did, we hit him up. Uh, he was thrilled. Um, he had, he had left the band because a lot of that same frustration that we had hit in 20, 2009 or whatever, where mm-hmm. it was like, we had hit the wall and he was starting a family and he was transitioning into having a career and he just didn't see how he was going to balance all of it. And I think over time he had started to realize that maybe he was cutting off a part of himself that was really a necessary part of himself, like the music element. 
Um, but he couldn't find the path back in. So when he got the invite to do the band with us, even if it was just in a live capacity, uh, he was thrilled. So he, he joined up with us. We relearned a bunch of old stuff. Uh, we did those shows. They went fantastic. And it felt so gratifying and natural to be playing with him again. And um, I think something he experienced too, is that like the band had evolved and changed in his absence um, in like a way that would be hard to pin down. Like, I don't know if, if I could explain it, but there's just a level of comfort that we have with each other at this point that transcends anything that we were doing, you know, 2000 through 2009, mm-hmm. like Brian and Larry and I had really locked it in, especially during the Dallas era where we had to learn how to have that interplay with a new musical voice that was so different from Laurent. I think that it just inspired this new interconnectedness. Um, So he was stepping into a band that felt even more comfortable than what he had left. And um, I think that really energized him. And so after those tours wrapped up, he was like, can we start writing some new stuff? I've got all these ideas and like, we just got to work. Um, I guess that would have been, middle of last year or something like that or beginning of yeah spring spring of last year Mm -hmm. and at this point we're up to eight songs and i think we're going to try and put like three or four more together and and uh hopefully record sometime later this year that's incredible that's incredible it's maturity man it's maturity he you guys musically matured maybe not you know i don't mean maturity is like you guys were immature before but the musical maturity of all those years, that's when you step back into it. Sounds like it's just a, 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 a better version of yourselves, you know, a more yeah. polished version of, of just being musicians that much longer. Yeah, for sure. And I think that there's like, um, it's not just musical too. I think we just communicate better and we're better at managing our emotions than we were when we were, cause like <laughs> we were not young when we got started, we were like kind of, old for you know in 2000 we were all like what 22 23 so Mm -hmm. it was like we weren't young for in the grand scheme of how young people are when they start bands uh we were we're up there but like we were just not very emotionally mature and i think like we didn't know how to communicate with each other we were like angry young men who didn't didn't know how to collaborate and how to communicate and like there was a lot of built up resentments and stuff like that and petty ego stuff and like we've all grown past that like now we're just so lucky to be in a room playing music together that we don't take that for granted anymore you know i just in my head i'm <laughs> i'm just picturing a hard times uh headline that says uh instrumental band has trouble with communication or something because, <laughs> because you know, verbally of course because obviously musical communication when you're playing instruments is transcends language it's mm-hmm. a it's mm-hmm. a spiritual experience locking in with somebody else with your eyes closed and hitting the same things just in that spontaneous moment but the fact that it's an instrumental band with communication issues just screams headline to me of of a hard times uh or the onion or something you know where uh it's just too perfect to that just hit me and hit me right uh no but you know what i mean it's like of course nobody nobody wants to be told what to play 
Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it's good to listen to other people's ideas. And I think that was the bridge that we had not crossed. Like if in 2009, Laurent was like, I don't like that part you're playing. I'd be like, well, fuck you. Yeah. That's a hyperbolized version of what would have happened. <laughs> but you, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and now it's like, if somebody makes a suggestion to me, I'm like, oh yeah, well, let me think about that. And let me see what I can do with that. And, and vice versa. Yeah. But in that we're time, a lot more open to like each other's ideas in a way that, and, and we're comfortable verbalizing it in a mm-hmm. way that we wouldn't have been before. And, but in that time, you know, have a partner and child, children mm-hmm. or child, child, children. Yep. children. Yes. So that's a crash course right there. Yeah. And learning to, to mature, communicate all that stuff. So it's kind of a, 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 I wouldn't say blessing in disguise, but like just the timeline of how it all came together. You're in a whole different place after yeah. having to deal with that kind of thing. Then come back to the band where everything's just like, man, we can do this if we want to. We don't have to do this. It's not like, you know, it, it, it's such a cool point to be in the band after this many years. Yeah. Jeez, man. Like, and this many, th- that many songs and like, but yeah, that communication in the, in the jam room where it's just like, everyone's feeling this thing, like keeping this ball in the air, this, this invisible ball in the air, creating this thing you can't see. Like if you just turned, if you turned all the sound off and just watch dudes in a practice space together, you just look at like the fuck is going on <laughs> but because you can't see the output, but you can feel it. Mm-hmm. That's something I always cherished about playing music live was locking in and just going off on these tangents and feeling it and, and feeling that energy and knowing when something, I mean, of course there's math involved. A lot of it at the very base level, there's mathematics that you can count. And, you know, if you know, if you're in a certain uh, time signature, a lot of times people are going to hit at the same time, but when that those notes blend together and it's something that's not been done, it's not a written song. Like you're just jamming for lack of a better word. There's no better feeling than that in the world. I feel like it's just, it's just this magic of music. And uh, I've, I've never been able to recreate that feeling in anything else in my life. And uh, I miss it dearly. because I don't do it anymore. Uh, but I, I will remember those days forever because it's just that, I mean, you may hate that guy on the drums at this point and not talk to each other. And, and but you had that moment, you know, it's like, uh, uh, I, I don't know what else to attribute it to relationship wise, but I can't attribute it to an ex-wife or something. Cause most of those people hate each other and don't remember any of the good times, but musicians, I think always will. I think it's more like a, a sibling type thing. Cause that's, like, that's fair. I think like your sibling can do something that pisses you off. And I'm not talking about my siblings in, in case they're listening. <laughs> um, but you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to stop loving them. I mean, speaking for myself anyway, I know that some people have really toxic relationships with family and have to cut them off. And I'm, I'm sympathetic mm-hmm. to that, but I feel like there is some sort of parallel there where it's like, th- this is a person that in one way or another is always going to be connected to you. Um, and like the, I think the work that we've done together as, as Pelican is like that, where it just, it's this bond that will never be broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can see it when you guys are on stage, like you can see, you can see that bond. You can see the, the energy and the, uh, 
yeah, it's just a, a lot of times um, with bands, they don't have that, that, that element to it. But the, I mean, you guys are having fun. Like you guys are having mm-hmm. a good time and it's moving you. Like, it's not just like heads bobbing. Like a lot of times bands just heads bobbing to the, but you guys are moving around. Like, especially you, like, you fucking like, just like, Oh, you can see the, 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 how much fun you're having, you know, it's a really, it's a really special thing. Um, so this, this, so this EP, this, the, the, the adrift and t- uh, tending the embers. Yep. These are not going to be on the, this is its own thing. The records. Gonna we, haven't, come out we, haven't after totally, the we haven't totally figured that out yet. Okay. I think what it was is that like, we were at a point in the writing process where we wanted to hear how some of this stuff was going to sound. These two songs felt pretty done. Mm-hmm. Um, Adrift, we've already played a number of times live. And we were just like, we should record a couple of these tunes and just put them out so that, you know, I feel like people have been already at this point waiting for new, our fan fan base anyway, has been waiting for new music for a very long time. Anytime we post anything, people are like, when, when's new stuff coming? Mm-hmm. So it's like, we don't have a finished record yet, but we wanted to give people some, some signs that we're not just talking about it. We actually have new stuff in the works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. A lot of bands I've been seeing lately have been doing like a, a series of EPs mm-hmm. and then putting out like a record at the end with yeah. maybe one or two more songs on as one complete piece. Um, which of course in today's digital realm seems easier to do the, the, than if you're doing vinyl and vinyl and vinyl, you know, and all the, the yeah. artwork and everything. Um, but you guys, you guys will be doing vinyl and, and all that kind of stuff like usual, correct? Like that's, that's kind of the, the way it's going to go. This EP is cassette only for now, cassette and digital. Really? Um, mm-hmm. That's badass. Well, it's, this one is a self-release, so we we don't have a whole lot of money in the bank to do vinyl. So we're just like, we'll do what's easy and comes naturally for us. And like one thing we noticed, um, we just did a couple of, of, of cover songs for, do you know the label Numero Group? No, I don't. They're an archival label out of Chicago and they got known uh, for digging up like regional soul records and reissuing them like really mm-hmm. obscure, like private press soul records and stuff like that. And then increasingly branched into different genres of music. Uh, one of the guys that owns the label, Ken Shipley, is an old, old friend. He used to run an emo label back in the 90s called Tree Records. OK, and because that was sort of his roots. At a certain point, they started um obtaining the catalog of like nineties bands and reissuing those. So they did like an unwound box set. They did a crim shrine box set. They did a codeine box set bedhead, a bunch of these bands that we're all really big fans of. And, and is the stuff that we kind of came up on. Um, so they did a series for their 20th anniversary where they had modern bands cover any songs that they wanted out of the numero catalog and we were invited to do a couple of covers uh we ended up doing an unwound cover and a karate cover uh we got our buddy chris hansen from Pinebender to do vocals um and we put those out and there was a pretty good amount of excitement about them uh and then uh we were going down uh last year to play levitation festival in austin and numero group were doing a pop-up store down there so i we suggested hey do you want to just like throw these on a casingle. Um, so they did 200 casingles and we had them on our merch table and they sold, sold like hotcakes. Uh, three out of four of us do not give a shit about the cassette format. And mm-hmm. that's no disrespect to people that do, 
uh Lerat is a total cassette head he collects like all the obscure black metal and dungeon synth uh yeah. tapes that have been popping up <laughs> and he was like really adamant about getting on the cassette game and like the the, the those cover songs sold like really well mm-hmm. um so when when this came up you know i was like we should do a digital single blah 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 uh, and he was like, we should really do a tape component. And like, the more he talked about it, the more I was like, yes, you're, you're totally right. And especially mm-hmm. as we're seeing how those, those cover songs sold. Dude, have you watched that documentary cassette? I have not. Okay. Like I said, I'm not crazy about cassettes, but <laughs> you should watch. That's why that's what I was getting at. If you're not, <laughs> you should watch this documentary. It's pretty impressive. Like I, I think Henry Rollins had something to do with it. And like, uh, did you say crimp shrine a minute ago? Mm-hmm. You guys came up on Crimp Shrine? Hell yeah. I love that fucking band. That whole nice. scene over in the Bay Area. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Another documentary. Yeah, look, Turn look it out, around. Lookout was my shit. When I got into Dude. punk, it was like all about Lookout Records, especially Screeching Weasel locally. Yes. But then also like Operation Ivy, Crimp Shrine, Monsula, uh-huh. all that stuff. Yeah. Dude, okay. Now you're speaking my language because that's in Alaska. <laughs> that's the mail order catalog we had. That's what we found. We found Op Ivy and went from there. It was not like I discovered like the whole like SoCal fat record scene later. Yeah. Same. Out was the jam for sure. I had Larry Livermore on like he was like guest like 13 or something like this. Oh, hell yeah. On the show. And it was mind boggling. I was like, I cannot believe I'm speaking to this man. Uh, <laughs> you have to send me a link to that one. Dude, I will. It was a, super early. He has a great interview. Like I've heard him on. Uh, he's done Jughead's Basement a couple times. He's done Turned Out of yes. Punk. And like his interviews are fucking legendary. He's so interesting. Yes. He'll still wish me happy birthday on Facebook. Like the, the, um, yeah. Jughead's basement that, that I love that podcast. Um, especially yeah. Jughead screeching weasel. Like that was like the, the, the band from Chicago that was on in that scene still, but still (laughs) removed. Have you watched that documentary, uh, turn it around? No. Fuck sakes. I got to I gotta Dude, it's stuff. like two and a half hours long. It's all about Lookout Records and the Berkeley scene. It, oh, it's funded by Green that. Day. Yeah, yeah. I heard and my buddy that. Corbett Redford made it, and uh, everyone's in it. Everyone uh, that's still alive. Even like, Tim Armstrong's even in half the thing. Like he doesn't do interviews at all. Anyway, you'll love this thing. But if you watch cassette, it's talking about all the tape traders and stuff, the labels that only release on cassettes. Still the guy who invented cassettes was still alive at the time. And he's showing you like prototypes of how he designed it. It's oh, super yeah. interesting. Cause I didn't care about cassettes either. <laughs> Even when cassettes were around, I love making mixtapes, but I never yeah, thought about yeah. it as a thing. This brings back the passion of the mixtape and all that stuff. It's definitely worth a watch. It's awesome. It's just called cassette. It's great. Don't get me wrong. Back in the day, I used to make mixtapes like crazy and I knew how to ride that that pause button to get like those fucking like super tight transitions between songs. Yeah. I used to love cassettes a lot, but once digital came up and especially CDRs, it was like I no turning back, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, from that point forward, it was just sort of like, and now we live in the fucking playlist era. I mean, it's like uh-huh. forget about it. Yeah. Uh, but I've I've been like a vinyl head ever since I moved on from tapes. Mm-hmm. That's been my my passion, dude. I can't fuck Lookout Records, man. <laughs> I would not have gone that spot. I would not have even gone there in my mind. Uh, wow, Jeff from ISIS too. 
He's also super big into the lookout scene. We used to really connect over a screeching weasel. Who? Jeff from ISIS. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, there, we, there's, there's some lookout people in this, you know, quote unquote, post-metal world. <laughs> Dude, that's incredible. Well, yeah, like, yeah, Neurosis and, and uh, Christ on Parade and like, dude, there, oh, man, okay, you got to watch the documentary. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, uh, dude, uh, Metal Mike from the the Angry Samoans, like, he's screen printing shirts while doing the interview. So he's doing the interview <laughs> and then he disappears and you hear him still talking and he pops back up like this. And he's still talking, he's doing his thing, and they just let him go. Iggy Pop narrates it. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's my favorite documentary of music that I've ever seen. Uh, definitely recommend it. Anyways, we're getting on a tangent here, but that you just threw me with the Lookout Records thing, man. Like, that's, I, oh, I rarely get a chance to talk about that scene. Um, but as a, as a teenager in Alaska, dude, that we would all order different records and share them because we couldn't afford all of them. And, uh, that was, yeah, Crimp Shrine. And, and, and just and, like if I can draw a more direct connection from that sure. to Pelican, like one, I think one of the things that for me, like, and I'm not speaking for myself and not for my bandmates here, one of the things that like made sense about us being instrumental when we began was because. Um, a lot of the music I came up on, those were my favorite parts of the songs. Like I think about like Jawbreaker is one of my all-time favorite bands. Mm -hmm. And you think about a song like um, Condition Oakland with that long instrumental outro or Seafoam Green with that gigantic buildup section in the middle or Accident Prone with, with, with also uh, a huge instrumental section. Mm -hmm. And to me, like that is a lot of what we were going after and emulating or what I was personally doing is like, teasing out these long buildups. And that was always for me, like the biggest part of, of those early songs. And like, I think a lot, a lot of people looked at those and thought like, we're tying them to, to, to like other metal things. And in my head, I had like this whole other conception of it. You know what I mean? That's so rad. <laughs> that was my first show back after COVID was Jawbox and Jawbreaker at the Roseland nice. here in Portland. It was incredible. Thanks. Go see Savory after not I, seeing I, music I, for two years. Oh my god! I, my 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 uh my first time having COVID was uh, going to see Jawbreaker reunion. Oh shit! So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Small small <laughs> worlds. Jesus! I, I, I dodged it until then. <laughs> first time? How many times? Uh, two and a half. Two and a half. There's one time Woo. that I. I never tested positive, but having had it two times where I did, mm -hmm. I feel like I can identify what it feels like to have COVID. And I, I'm <laughs> certain that it was, I, yeah, it was my, my half time. Oh my God, dude, that is ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God. Well, dude, this is, I mean, this is fucking awesome. I've, I'm so glad we're doing this. Uh, this, so we're going to put this out. The, the EP is already out then at this point. When we're yeah. this out okay yeah. i'm i'm so stoked to i i'm loving the new music but i'm stoked to hear a full new record dude that oh my god literally put yeah. on with headphones I, and just crunch i think I, I it's nice that you tapped into the fact that the new stuff sounds different than what we've done before because i think that it is like that what i was talking about before where it's like it's laurent coming back to the band with mm -hmm. his sensibility but that we 
as the, uh, the rest of us evolved during that time that he was out of the band. And it's kind of inspiring this sort of, I think it's, it would be a familiar sound to anybody that's into the band that's into Pelican, but it is sort of like we have discovered um, we've tapped into this new dimension of what we're capable of. Exactly. That's perfectly said because that's what I'm saying. Like there's still that Pelican glue that's there, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's peppered with all this stuff. This is just like, I never thought I would hear something like this from Pelican or, uh, like almost at one point I had to look and see if it was a cover song because I was like, <laughs> not this sounded familiar, but I was like, this is so different. And then, you know, a minute or two in everything starts hitting and it's just like, Oh, this is perfect. Like it. And then you go start it again and start it again. And it just, it keeps you listening instead of just doing the one listen, you go back five or six times and work through these songs and you still won't get it all because it's stuff you guys have worked on for so long you know, the, the listener is going to have to listen to it, you know, five or six times to really grasp everything. And then it's going to really like sink in as a, as a, the progression. I'm flattered. Thank you very much, dude. I'm so stoked for this. Uh, uh, And I'm stoked for the world to hear this, which is going to be a little while, but I'm going to sit with these songs anyway, because (laughs) that's the, that's the joys of doing a podcast. You get stuff early. Um, and you have to keep it, keep it private, but you'll never get it again. But that's also the frustration is you get stuff early because it's yeah. like, Oh, you want to just like, Oh, come on. Um, but soon enough, soon enough. We're, well, as of right now, you guys can go listen to this. Um, and it's going to be on everything. Right. So because right now it's just on yep. that link, but it's going to be on Spotify everywhere. And then oh, yeah, the, cassette, and then the, and the cassettes we're just going to sell from our band camp page for now. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's the plan. Very good. Dude, well, Trevor, dude, this has been awesome. I I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. And, uh, you know, like I always say, thank you so much for all the great music over the years. And just, I mean, Pelican Pelican has been in my ears so many times in good and in bad times. Uh, It's always like a beacon of light in in any situation. And and I really appreciate that. I don't think there's any greater gift you can give to the world than something uh, musically like this. And that you've done over the years. So cheers to you for that. And, and thanks for all the help with the podcast and, and on the publicist side and just being a good dude, man. And, and uh, I really appreciate you. Um, Likewise, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, go check out Adrift and Tending the Embers on Bandcamp, on cassette and on Spotify and everywhere you listen to music, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm stoked. All right, brother. Well, I'll let you get back to your evening. It's late, much later there than it is for me. So I appreciate you doing this in the evening and, and uh, we'll talk this soon. Is, this and, is the best. Honestly, this is the best time for me for interviews. Like I can't do shit during the day because I've got work and then oh, perfect. like juggling stuff. So this, this worked out perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, dude, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch over the next couple of weeks and getting this uh, put together and, and uh, clips and whatever else we want to do and, and yeah, uh, sure. do it right. Cool. Sounds awesome. Right on, bro. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, See ya. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Trevor from Pelican. What an amazing dude. I love this conversation. We went so many different places, so many interesting places. And I really am just stoked uh, to be able to talk to people like this. People I've been listening to since the early 2000s. Bands I've seen, bands I've not seen. Uh, Pelican's one of the ones where, uh, man, really in my formative years, 
of really expanding my musical genres and and uh, likes and dislikes, and they just blew me away. They always have. Just an incredible band. Trevor's an awesome dude. He's a publicist as well. He's helped out the show a lot, um, connected a lot of dots, and uh, just continues to do the damn thing. So thanks to Trevor for coming on. And uh, check out the new Pelican music over at their band camp, Adrift and Tending the Embers. And also check out readyfordeath.bandcamp.com for Dallas's other project. It is killer. All right, guys. I don't have a bunch here. I am literally struggling through this intro and outro um, to get this out to you. As you can hear, my voice is shot. Next week should be much better on the voice end. Um, and I'll probably have more to say. I don't know. I rarely do. I don't make these very long. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, give us a rating and review where you can. Uh, support the show by spreading the word to other people. Uh, having them listening to it if you like uh pelican and other people like pelican send them the episode uh reach out to trevor tell them what you thought and uh i think this was a really good one thanks again guys and as always we'll see you on the radio This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.